Welcome, I'm Melissa Durda, and this is Synergo's Cultivate the Soul podcast. Stories of purpose-driven philanthropy from around the world. Over this series, we explore together the intersection of contemplative practices, spirituality, philanthropy, and social impact. Join us as we dive into the personal journey of each guest and what they have discovered about the role of inner work on one's capacity to change the world. To learn more about each of our guests and view the full episode list, please visit synergos.org slash podcast. My name is Ajay Dahir. I'm the Managing Director of Philanthropy at Synagos, and I cultivate my soul by trying to be of service. Today we are joined by Ajay Dahia, Managing Director of Philanthropy at Synergos. A deep spiritual calling led Ajay to become a monk in his late teens, where he spent almost a decade in service, spiritual practice, and deep reflection on how to realize a healthy, conscious, and balanced society. He has led a number of mission-driven organizations at the forefront of consciousness and social change. Along with serving as a guide and a coach, Ajay is the founder of the Bhakti Society, a nonprofit supporting people in their spiritual journeys through sharing the teachings of Bhakti. His passion lies in supporting others and unlocking their full spiritual potential. Ajay's full bio is available on our podcast website. So Ajay, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Honored to be here. As you know, we have a special series on love and action in partnership with Fetzer. So we're really excited to dig into this issue today. I wanted to get us started on the topic around the meaning of the word philanthropy. As you know, it comes from two Greek words, philane, meaning to love, and anthropos, meaning humankind. And so philanthropy means love of humanity. In your role at Synergos and leading the Global Philanthropist Circle, what's your reflection on this? I think it's a really interesting word, and I think words over time take on different meanings. And I think philanthropy is one such word. The Romans adopted the word and kind of translated it into Latin. They actually changed the meaning to be humanness and what it meant to be human. And so I think their definition expanded upon what the Greek definition was, which is that to be human means to love. And I think what's happened over time in our society, at least, I think the word philanthropy has become sort of intertwined with the idea of charity. And whilst philanthropy has a charitable aspect to it, I think it goes far beyond charity. And so I think we've redefined the word and taken it away from its essence. And I think what needs to happen and what is happening more and more, I think, as time goes on, is we're getting back to what the original essence of that word was. And I think it's a recognition of this interconnected nature of being between all of us who are living and non-living existence. And so my reflection is the closer that we can get to that original definition is deeply intertwined with this concept of serving others and in doing so serve the whole of which we are also a part. And I see that every day in the work that our global philanthropists are doing and the work that Synagogue is trying to do as well. Yeah, I like that. I think it's important to go back to the origin of what the word and what the meaning is behind the words. In your experience working with members of the Global Philanthropist Circle, in what ways are you seeing that philanthropy today may be being redefined or perhaps connecting more to its original origin? What I see with the members of the Global Philanthropist Circle is that it's a community that really leans into this idea of the interconnected nature of it. So rather than just work in siloed ways of, you know, I want to solve hunger problems in the world, we see that it's a larger spectrum of issues on a systems level. And I see a lot of our members, a lot of our community, well, they have their own expression of how they're trying to approach some of these issues. It's all kind of embedded on the bedrock of intersectionality. 
And so, you know, you cannot extract climate from the food problem or problem or ultimately through the consciousness problem that we face in today's modern age. And so, you know, I think change is a very interesting concept. Our members of our group are enacting change in their own very unique ways. But I think the underlying principle of the whole thing is coming from a place of love. They want to see the world a better place. They could be doing anything with the resources that they have. They've decided to dedicate some of those resources and some of their time to making the world better for others. You know, I think we have to also understand from a spiritual perspective that change is really the only constant that's happening in the world. And so for myself on a personal level, after years of spiritual practice and years living in monasteries and trying to be of service, you know, a lot of that was driven by a desire to want to change the world. And what I'm starting to land on more and more is that there's a greater consciousness that exists you know, whatever one wants to call it, whether you call it source or spirit or God or whatever name one wants to give it. I believe that this kind of divine energy out there is trying to manifest positive change in the world. And a lot of the time we get in the way of that. And so for myself on a personal level, what I see is more and more I'm trying to understand what is it that I need to change within myself to kind of be in, in the flow of that divine current and allow myself to become an instrument of manifesting whatever positive change is trying to manifest in the world already. And rather than get in the way of it, how do I align myself with it? And that becomes a kind of interesting prospect because the I that's been trying to change a world is intrinsically interwoven and inseparable from the environment in which the I exists. And the more I can align the I that I think I am with the environment in which I exist, it invites us into this quite unique possibility of healing ourselves while healing the world all at the same time. By understanding that those two things are inseparable and you can't do one without the other. So it becomes a more holistic approach to change. And I think it becomes a far more sustainable approach to change. And it's driven more by intrinsic motivation rather than extrinsic motivation. And I, I see that a lot with the people that we're honored to work with and serve. Thank you for sharing that. I have two questions. One is around your reflections just now and how you have seen that has had an impact on you and the change that you're working to see in the world. And then my second part of my question is around what you do with your work with this group, with these global philanthropists that also allow them the opportunity to make these connections to self as they are in service out in the world? I think a lot of my life I've thought change is uh, an expression of doing. I'm active, I'm doing this, I'm going to do that, and we're not doing enough, and I need to be doing more. And what I've come to kind of realize a bit more is that actually change on a deeper level is an expression of one's being. And so how do I become more aligned with the nature of my being, which again is interconnected with being said to my existence and your existence while different are not separate from one another. And I think we've seen this more and more as the kind of world becomes more and more polarized. Or even you take something like COVID as a great example, it's not as if one part of the world suffers from it and the rest of us don't. And so then the health of the whole organism is really dependent on the health of each part of the organism. And I think this is perhaps something that we've lost in the modern day. We've become a bit more divorced from nature, so to speak. We don't recognize that actually I'm part of a greater ecosystem. So for myself, it's more about how do I remove through all my experiences in life, I've created particular impressions within my mind of what should be and how it shouldn't be and the way things should kind of unfold in life. And that creates some preconceived notions, prejudice, likings, tendencies, dislikes, and so on and so forth that can actually block me from being who I'm meant to be in the kind of greater arc of the evolution of the world or society, whatever one wants to call it. And just as I've got older, perhaps I've got a little bit wiser and I've just realized that if I can focus more on who I'm being in the world, then the doing is kind of born of that. And I think sometimes we get it the other way around that my sense of being is really a product of my doing. So you ask most people, you know, who are you? And they say, well, I'm an accountant or I'm this or I'm that. But really what you're doing in the world should come from who you are. And who you are is a unique gift. All of us have, I think, unique gifts and quite precious if you think about the miracle of life. 
what it took for us to be here right now in this moment and the opportunities that lie ahead of us. That's been given to us in a way that sometimes you miss if you just get stuck in the kind of rabbit hole of I have to do all of it. So for me on a personal level, I think sitting in silence and being a bit more still, kind of trying to separate the chatter of the mind from the call of the soul, I think gives you a much deeper and more profound experience of life that then drives you and moves you forward rather than I'm trying to move the world, the world starts to move me. So with the philanthropists that we serve, we try to instill this, as you know, a large part of synagogues is inner work and self-reflection, contemplation and practices that bring us more in line with nature. And so, you know, we offer these opportunities through workshops, through a lot of our bridging leadership work that we do, through the retreats that we host. And I see, at least through our kind of community, there's such a strong desire to find more of those spaces in life because life is busy and there are all these responsibilities pulling us in different directions. And I think if you can find those moments in between, there's quite a deep message that's being transmitted to us that we can sometimes miss. And so by creating safe environments with like-minded people where you can explore that kind of inner part of yourself, you know, including all of the, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is within us all, you open a space that allows one to be a bit more authentic in how they walk in this world. I recall often St. Francis of Assisi, when he was preaching to his brothers, so to speak, he would say to them, when you walk to preach, don't forget that your walking is preaching. And that means you have to live the example that you want to be. If I want to change the world, and yet within myself, I harbor all the things I want to remove from it. Some good work, but greater scheme of things, I think you may be holding yourself back, which inevitably holds us all back because we're all interconnected and you can't separate any of us. For all of us, we feel a great sense of urgency of trying to make the world a better place. But sometimes that urgency can really come from a place of scarcity. And we can start to feel like the world's not enough, I'm not enough, and I have to do more. But really, when you come to this recognition that actually in any moment, you have everything that you need. And within that moment, there are great lessons, there are great opportunities, there are great channels through which you can express your inner being in a way that just not only serves you, but serves the world itself and everyone within it. That to me is how you create sustainable change and it becomes a joyful experience. Rather than looking at the world and thinking, oh God, it's all broken, there's a war in this place and there's a famine in this place and there's a hurricane over here and a flood over there. You start to recognize that all of this is part of a greater plan of which you are also a part and you have a fundamental part to play. And by removing kind of the egoistic part of trying to save the world, kind of moving away from the savior complex, you move more into this space of, I'm here to serve. And service takes many different forms, it takes many different faces, and it takes a very diverse effort. If we truly want to be instruments in the world, well, the world doesn't always need a hammer. Sometimes it needs a screwdriver. Sometimes it needs some sandpaper. Sometimes it needs the soft bristles of a paintbrush to paint the tapestry of what the world could be. So one has to become adaptable to the need of the moment. But in order to become adaptable to that need of the moment, you have to kind of move beyond what you're conceiving is needed at that time, right? And so, you know, people call this flow. You have to be in a state of flow, whatever, you know, we can use different semantics for it. But in the essence, to allow yourself to become an instrument of something greater than yourself, to manifest what I think is already divinely trying to manifest through the world, but we block through our own kind of preconceived notions. That I think is a missing part, a missing component of change because we've been doing a lot for centuries to change the world. But yeah, a lot of those issues still exist. What if we start to look at the possibility of being open enough to be moved in the world so that the doing is a product of a greater plan than one that we could ever come up with in our own minds? You find that in moments of stillness. You find that in community. Community is heralded amongst all spiritual traditions as really an essential piece of one's own growth, but growth of grosser society as well. Yeah, I have a few things in my own reflections as I listen to you. One piece of what you just mentioned around the ego, I think is really important as one considers the role of philanthropy. 
the reasons why one may engage in change and the ego element may or may not be conscious for those who are engaging and the impact that that has, as you say, on those they're seeking to serve. So that's an interesting element, I think, and that's something that's come up in, say, recent years around the role of philanthropy and the examination of the motivations of people of wealth who may be seen as the philanthropists, although I know we agree that we're all philanthropists as lovers of humanity. Bringing us back to love, what role do you see love in all of this? And maybe even particularly connected to your concept of service. Let's go back to that little pondering on ego for a second. And let's go back to words, because words have a lot of power. And the meaning of words have a lot of power and change. And so now we think of ego and we think, oh, God, that guy's got a huge ego. I think I've been accused of that. But you know, in the essence of the word ego itself, what does ego really mean at its essence? It means identity. Right, so it's more a question of which identity am I showing up with? This is where you have to start looking at the definition of philanthropy versus charity. Charity can, it doesn't always, but it can have a connotation of a power dynamic. I identify as a person who has all these resources and you don't have anything and now I'm going to give to you. And so that power dynamic creates a separation. It creates a distance, right, between, you know, people talk about this, the haves and the have-nots and so on and so forth. Whereas in love, there is no power dynamic. Love actually is not a static thing. It's beyond this emotional feeling. It's beyond like romanticism. Love is really the recognition of our shared humanity, our shared essence. And so if we think of it as a dynamic dance, who's leading who? You know, sometimes one partner's leading, sometimes the other partner's leading, but the dance only makes sense and it becomes even more beautiful when those two partners or, or more than two partners are in sync with one another and where the steps are lined up with one another. So I think love in the philanthropy or in addressing complex issues in the world, whether you do that through impact investing or whatever it may be, simple kind acts. But what it does, I think, is it, it removes the aspect of the ego that thinks it's the one in power, right? And so in today's day and age, you hear a lot of this conversation around, I'm sharing the power. Well, who made you the one who had the power? What makes you think that you have the power? How do you define power? Because you have resources. So I think what happens when you start to look at things from a lens of love is it's not me helping you, it's us growing together. When love is at its you know, purest form, because you can also exploit love. And I would say that's not really love at that point. I think also in love, there's no expectation of return. I have a five-year-old son. I do all these little things for him because I love him. Of course, it's nice when he says thank you, but when he doesn't say thank you, it doesn't mean I stop doing the thing. But when he gets mad at me, this is the other part of love. I'm doing something out of love, but he doesn't want to go to sleep right now. So he wants to argue with me and throw a tantrum, whatever else. And I could exercise a power dynamic. I'm your father. I'm the guy who puts food on the table and keeps a roof over your head. You have to listen to me. Again, that creates a separation. But if I can sit with him and say, well, why don't you want to go to sleep? And this is why I think it's good for you to go to sleep. And let, let me help you. What do you need? Do you need to snuggle you a little bit? you need to rock you? Should I read you another story? And I think what you start to do is you, you start to close down the distance. And again, you know, not to sound like a broken record here, but that becomes another recognition that we are connected here. There's an interconnection between the two of us. And so when you're upset and having a tantrum, I'm upset and having a tantrum too, right? Rather than trying to like now exercise my power over you, how about we, how do they say it? Instead of power over, have power with, right? And I think love offers you that invitation if you do it properly, if you actually are loving according to its real definition. And I think in philanthropy or in charity or in whatever, it, in any effort to make the world a better place, I think we have to recognize unless it's coming from a place of love, we start to reinforce these power dynamics that perhaps cause the problem in the first place. Love allows you to lean into compassion, which is really what's needed to do anything in the world that moves us all forward. As we're looking at what love might look like in action, 
Is there something that comes to mind from something that you've seen or experienced? I mean, I find that to be kind of challenging sometimes in love's purest form. Or is it something that you imagine for us as we're moving forward? So a couple of things on that. One is love in its highest or most perfected form, I don't think is a destination. I think it's a moment by moment thing. And so I think we have to be a little bit compassionate to ourselves too, that we're not always going to be saints who fell out of heaven to change the world or save the world or whatever else. And, you know, with us all, we have the angel, we have the devil. And depending on my own inner state, one of those is going to come out. So I think a little bit of compassion for oneself, knowing that it's a journey and each step is different. And some steps are absolutely perfect. You know, I hit the ground perfectly. And then there's other steps where I kind of rock a little bit or I twist my ankle a little bit. To be easy on oneself, because it's a tough road to traverse life in general. It's not always um, rainbows and butterflies, so to speak. Sometimes it's thunderstorms and lightning and high wind. But if one can maintain their composure throughout those external circumstances, which means if one can anchor themselves internally, at least with the ideal, I truly believe that the highest ideals, the greatest ideals are ones that we're never going to reach. But it's the striving for the ideal that really shows one's character. Reflecting on the theme of this podcast series, Love in Action, is there a story or an example you can share around where you've seen love in action that can help us visualize what you've shared so far in more tangible terms? I often reflect on something I experienced probably about 15 years ago now. I was living as a monk, and I went to this, there's a thing called the Rainbow Gathering, which is an old hippie gathering from the 60s, and they host them in national parks. I think they're illegal. I don't think you're, you're supposed to be doing them. But anyway, I got dragged to one many years ago. I was part of this group that was there to cook. So it was, I mean, cooking these huge pots, for hundreds and hundreds of people. And I soon gathered while I was there that the people who took me there weren't really interested in being there to cook. They just wanted to go to the festival. So I was left alone at this camp cooking for people. And I remember this one day I'd, I'd served God knows how many hundreds of people. I was cleaning this huge pot and this girl kind of crawled out of the forest. And I, she was like angelic. She had this innocence about her and this purity around her. And, and she came out, she was like crawling. Literally, she was on her hands and knees. And she came to me, she goes, I'm so hungry. I've been sick and I haven't been able to leave my camp for like three days. Do you have any food left? And I had nothing left. And I said, I'm sorry. And I looked around, I had an orange. I think about this so much, actually. I said, well, I have this orange. So I peeled it for her and I gave it to her. And the first thing that she did is she like ripped it in half and she extended her hand. She goes, would you like some? And to me, that's such a, you know, it sounds very simplistic, but there's a profound lesson in that story. And it kind of ties to what we were saying earlier, that I may not always be at my highest self. So she was in a time of her own need. She was sick. She was hungry. She hadn't eaten in days. But something within her mind immediately was like, well, maybe this guy's hungry too. So rather than take the whole thing for herself, there was this recognition that perhaps this person's experiencing something that I'm experiencing too. And to me, that was a, like, I don't know her name. I've never seen her again. I'll probably go through whole of eternity and never meet this person ever again. But that to me was a profound act of love. She was willing to put aside her own need at that moment in recognition that maybe someone else has a need. That's a really profound thing because we all have our needs. We all, at any moment in time, we have things going on in our lives that are challenging, that we're struggling with. Um, there's not many of us who are just everything's 100% every minute of the day. And yet, if we can transcend some of that, and that doesn't mean to ignore your own needs and to become neglectful of yourself, but to understand your need while simultaneously understanding that perhaps there's other needs beyond me. To me, that's a type of love that goes beyond that emotional feeling that we can get. It's a recognition that I'm connected to you. And so rather than trying to serve myself, if I can serve you and simultaneously meet my own needs, that's a real example of love in action. I don't have to be in the perfect state to be loving. In fact, I can be in an imperfect state. And if I'm loving, that moment becomes perfect, regardless of my own imperfections. Thank you for sharing that story. It was really powerful. 
the fact that somebody in that state would be willing to also offer what was given to her to someone else back to you. Just on that point, though, so we've all been given something in our lives, right? We talk about multiple forms of capital, for example. So financial capital is one. Wisdom is another. Society, you know, social capital. There's so many of these different forms of capital. When we recognize that that's been given to us, not to be kept just for us, but to be shared with others, then I think you're kind of operating from consciousness of love and gratitude as well. That's how I express my gratitude to the gifts I've been given. What would you say are some of the greatest challenges or tensions the world's facing today? From a more philosophical perspective, I think the greatest challenge is that we've created an artificial illusion of separation. So it becomes me versus you, my country versus your country, my sports team against your sports team. I think a lot of that is driven by the kind of predominant economic system. Because the economic system that we live in today, you know, very basic essence, is one of scarcity, right? Economics in today's day and age is based on supply and demand. When there's high demand, prices become inflated because there's not enough to go around. So everyone's going to have, now have to start paying a premium. Or when there's low demand and there's huge supply, and let's drop the prices because there's another scarcity here. There's not enough customers. And I think that creates a sense of competition and a feeling that there's always a lack. There's always something lacking. There's never enough to go around. Whereas if you look at nature, nature doesn't operate that way. And nature, not only does it not operate in scarcity, a lot of us will say nature operates in abundance. I'll go further and say nature actually operates in extravagance. You know, you take like a flower. A flower produces so many more seeds than it would ever need to continue the flower's existence. But like an, I think about apple trees a lot because I'm eating a lot of apples these days, I suppose. An apple tree will produce so many fruits in its lifetime. And we'll take them and eat them. You can eat billions of apples around the world to consume. Probably more billions fall from the tree never to be consumed. It's not as if there's no apple trees left in the world. If anything, we can continue to take from that apple tree and the apple tree will somehow or other continue to exist throughout eternity. So I think our economic models create a consciousness within us of scarcity, whereas I think nature shows us that you can be very extravagant in what you give to the world actually be more full through that as opposed to being empty because you're giving. So I feel this is a challenge of our modern day society. And if you go back through traditions of yesteryear, so to speak, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, that was how they operated. The village was together as a whole, or the tribe was together as a whole. It wasn't just one man over the other. Everyone's out for themselves. There's a power to that, this kind of buccaneering entrepreneurial spirit where I'm going to go out there and make something for myself, by myself. And that, I think, has led to a lot of innovation and a lot of the things that we've seen in the world. But again, if it's not underscored by a foundation of connection, comes exploitation very quickly. The more that we can move away from a scarcity mindset and at least move to abundance and recognize that there's enough to go around for everyone, I think that's the cause of a lot of our global tensions right now. My country has to conquer your country because you have more resources than I do. Rather than can we figure out a way to work together because maybe I have something and you don't. And maybe there's an exchange that needs to take place. And I think the more that we can lean into being relational rather than transactional, which again, I think is the predominant culture of today is everything's very transactional. Relationships make the world go around. And the basis of all relationships really, truthfully, if, you, if they're real relationships, is going to be love. That ties into my final question, but maybe I feel like you may be already be answering it, but I'll ask it in case there's more you want to add. Where do you see the future and what role does love play? Despite all the chaos in the world right now, I see the future is very bright because I think everything moves in cycles. And if you look back through history, the cycle goes that things become very chaotic. Things start to break down. You can just go, let's go back to the 60s, for example, war that people didn't believe in, economic crisis, a loss of faith and trust in the leadership of nations around the world. But that then gave birth to alternative thinking. It gave birth to a more communal type of living, people coming closer together. And I think we're back in that cycle now. I think things have been very chaotic. I see in my travels around the world and the people I'm able to meet, interact with, there's an evolving consciousness 
that is moving up towards what we've lost, I think, over some time, which is, again, a recognition that we are all connected. And in one sense, we are all one. While we're individual, we're different. We're not separate from one another. And so I see it. I see more and more in the space of philanthropy, but also in the space of business and other avenues, people are recognizing that we are all interdependent. Love, I think, becomes the um, powering force behind all of that. It, I think it becomes a guiding light, a guiding force in the world. It empowers us to make decisions that lead to greater harmony and sustainability, not just for the individual, but for all of the individuals collectively who form the greater whole. I see it happening. I don't think everyone's on that train, but I think more and more people are starting to adopt this sort of a mindset. And you just need a critical mass of people. It doesn't even have to be the majority. But if the right people and the right number of those people come together regularly and they deepen, foster that sort of a mindset amongst one another, and they deepen those sorts of relationships, then it becomes the power, to use that word again, that starts to push the world in a direction that I think becomes more balanced for everyone. So I think there's a very bright future ahead of us. I think more and more people are awakening to the idea that we are all individually responsible to create the world that we all want to see together, a recognition that we are one humanity living on one planet. And what happens to one of us affects all of us. I think more people are awakening to that, that concept. And we're starting to celebrate the diversity of thoughts, the diversity of action, the diversity of resources that are needed to solve some of the most pressing issues of our time. And I think we can leave behind a legacy of collaboration and community, or even deeper than community. I don't, you know, we're looking for community, but what we're looking for is commune. We're looking to commune with one another. You see it moving more and more towards nature-based. I've lived in cities my whole life, and everyone I know at some point or another is now prioritizing getting out in nature. You still have to make it. It's not a done deal. I think it goes back to what we spoke about in the beginning, which is how do we empty ourselves of all of the egoistic parts of ourselves, of the darker parts of ourselves? How do we embrace those parts of ourselves and utilize them where they're useful and remove them from where they're causing harm in the world? Well, I share your view that things are shifting. And so that is a positive outlook for our future. And I enjoy working with you to hopefully provide those opportunities for people to connect to themselves, connect to nature, connect to each other, see themselves as one to be of service. How can people learn more if they want to learn more about the work that you're doing? Well, first and foremost, I'd say, you know, the Global Philanthropy Circle, we hold many events and workshops and gatherings and retreats all over the world. So keep up to date with those things and please join us if you feel called. You'll get to experience it because I could tell you theoretically, but the experiential piece I think is far more profound. For myself personally, i am just revived a blog. So I'm writing a lot about these concepts, mainly to figure out some of my thinking for myself, but if it's useful to others, that's a win beyond myself. And start to focus more on being who you're meant to be in this world. I think in doing that, you'll learn everything you need to learn because it's all already there within you. I think we have to just move beyond what we think we're supposed to be and actually just be who we're supposed to be. Well, we'll include the links in your bio on the website so people who are interested to read your blog or connect with the Global Philanthropist Circle can. Thank you so much for coming on again. Thanks for sharing your thoughts around this, your experience and your inspiration. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for everyone who listened and thank you to everyone out there who's doing good work in the world. What I like about this conversation with Ajay is hearing his reflections on what is needed in today's world. He spoke about connecting to being, about our interconnectedness, and how we need to live the example.